Tim, you've worked in corporate offices for most of your career, right? Yep. 33 years. Oh. God, that just sounds like a long time. It it because it is. You know, <laughs> it's probably longer than many of our listeners have been on this planet. Ouch. So there you go. There you go, though. All right. All right. So, but with that, so in those 33 long years, I think you might have heard your share of corporate speak. Oh, definitely. I mean, and just to make sure like that I, I understand here, you want to get a line on the 30,000-foot view in order to right-size this initiative? Okay, yes. You have <laughs> definitely you have definitely heard your fare and can repeat some of that, that there. So even though I've been an independent consultant for more than 20 years, not quite your 33, but still getting up there, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So almost all of my work has been with global corporations. So I've had to manage my way through the IC philosophy to get to the SOP requiring the RACI form to maximize the franchise's MPS and the CX group. And yeah. okay. you know, it's a, we're going to lean into this, Tim. We're going to lean in and we're going to we're going to maximize, you know, the emotional content of anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah OK. Uh, I'd say you've been indoctrinated, too. But. Why, why Why? do you bring that up, Kurt? Well, today our guest is Dan Hill, and he's decided to publish a book that includes lots of snarky renditions of some common office lingo. He partnered with Howard Moskowitz and lots of friends, including, including, drum roll please, you. <laughs> In fact, I think you hold the honor of creating the most definitions that made it into the book. Bom, yeah. bom. <laughs> Thank you for doing all the sound effects for the show. It's true. Okay, but let's hear Dan describe why human, why humor is such a delightful act. <laughs> that that was humorous. Actually, that was the way that you that, that you was a breadfall. Right? Yeah, there you go. All right, let's hear. Let's hear from Dan. But yeah, a good cartoon, a good joke, I think really captures the essence of a situation, and it does open you up. It's got that aha twist and turn to a phrase, a concept. And it's in that surprise. I mean, literally, when we're surprised, our eyes go wider, our mouth drops open. It means we shut up and we notice the world around us. So I am trying for that element of surprise. This is a good time to welcome all of you to Behavior Groups, the podcast that explores stories, science, and secrets from the world's brightest thought leaders for the curious at heart. I'm Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. We like to explore human behavior that will improve your relationships, your well-being, and your organization by helping you find your groove. From best-selling authors to researchers, you will learn insights from the sharpest minds in behavioral science, as well as psychology, behavioral economics, and neuroscience. And in this episode, you'll actually get it from a comedian as well, Mr. Dan Hill. No, no, that's no, not, not how this really. works. All right. No, in this episode with author, facial coder, and friend of ours, Dan Hill, we hope that you'll get a little taste for why the power of humor is so important to us right now. God, that is so true, Kurt. And while you're laughing during our conversation with Dan, head over to our Patreon page and at patreon.com forward slash behavioral grooves. That's the U.S. spelling of behavioral, by the way. So there's no U in the words, just like our logo. Anyway, just check it out and see what contribution level makes the most sense for you. Yeah. And if you laugh at all during this, you can give a dollar for a joke. There you go. Dollar per joke. So per by month. the end, that you'll be, be giving like $150,000 a month. <laughs> oh, be that great. would be, 
I don't know. I don't know, Tim. That's a little, little, maybe a hundred thousand dollars. hundred thousand laughs out of I'm, this episode. I might have been itself. extrapolating, yeah. Or hyperbolizing right. or something. Hyperbolizing. <laughs> Ooh, there's a good word. Haven't heard that one in ever. All right. So with that, we urge you to sit back and relax with an overflowing pint of laughter and listen to our conversation with Dan Hill. Dan Hill, welcome back to Behavioral Grooves. Absolutely. So happy to be here. We are always happy to talk with you, Dan. We are excited about this one. And, you know, this is one that is dear to my heart. So I'm going to <laughs> I'm gonna really enjoy this because I think I, I speak in too much jargon. Anyway, speed round. We always start with our speed round, which is never speedy, but we're still doing calling it a speed round. So here we go. Travel on a fixed itinerary or none at all when you vacation. Uh Slightly fixed. Slightly, <laughs> Slightly fixed. fixed. My wife likes fixed. I like free form and as much as I can stuff into my day. <laughs> we love it. Love it. Okay. Dinner with your favorite musician or favorite athlete. Oh my God. Uh, favorite musician. Uh, I'd still have to go with Bob Dylan. I know he'd be a cantankerous bastard, but I just yes. still want to talk to him. <laughs> Or Lucinda Williams, actually. I, I adore Ooh. Lucinda Williams. Oh, yeah. And she Bob might be would, more fun. <laughs> Bob would be interesting. Oh. I think Bob would be an interesting cat to have at dinner. Yeah. Yes. He, he was in, true with your mind on every single question, I believe. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but one of my favorite uh, Dylan uh, comments was in a documentary where someone said, well, you know, people are getting to know you, you know, through their songs. They're like, nobody's got... How could that happen? That's impossible. You know, you can't get to know me through my songs. You know, he was just like, come yeah. on, come on, Bob. <laughs> and speaking of cantankers, I'd probably take John McEnroe for the uh, oh <laughs> for the sports stuff because you never know what's going to come out of John's mouth. That's why it's interesting to watch him talk yes. in the U.S. Open. See, I think it would be interesting to have Bob and John at the same dinner table. Oh. There you go. Oh. You could have a really fun conversation then. That would be that'd be great. I just watched the ping pong going, the 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 tennis ball going back. Well, that's and forth probably between a, them. that's probably a perfect lead into my book because it has snarky in the subtitle, and those would be two of the most snarky people you could possibly have to dinner. Truly, truly. Yeah. We'll All get right. Back to that. We 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 want to know. We we know that you are a. Uh, a big beetle fan. You have spent a lot of time studying them. Which is the happier beetle, John or George? Oh my God! Neither one is particularly happy. Um, <laughs> well, I don't. I, I guess well, they're, they're, I, I, they're I, both I guess, dead. I mean, what? Yeah. Yeah, come on. <laughs> um, I, I would have to take John because he was actually very happy when the Beatles made it because he always promised the group that they would get to the top. Ah. To the, the top, the topmost, whatever his his little catchphrase was, and he did get him there. And in fact, when the Hard Days Night album, if you look at all the albums, that's the one album where he really put in the journeyman work. Like three quarters of the songs are his. So mm. he promised he'd get him to the top. That was their moment to break through. He helped him get there, and he was actually quite happy at that point in the Beatles. Uh, not subsequently, but at that point he was, and he was truly the leader of the band at that point before Paul wrestled it from him. They were still, uh, he he and Paul were still collaborating pretty yes. closely, yeah. though, on songwriting, weren't they? They were, but he really took the lead on a lot of those. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. That's, that's really the album that has his stamp, maybe most of all. 
Okay. You know, Kurt, I just realized that I just took your question. That's fine. I'll, I, you know what? I can I can pivot. I can uh, I can turn. What well, I don't know what other he, job. He's, he's is, a generous, big hearted man, and he's going to live with it. <laughs> well, there you go. All right, all right, Dan. Will employees of large corporations be better off reading your new book, or will it just be blah 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 for them, and they don't care? Well, we all need some humor to get through our day, so I would like to think that this will help them endure the soul-sucking jobs they sometimes find themselves in. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about the you blah, blah, blah. written some you've written some really serious books and you you know, this one I, maybe not quite so serious. So tell well, us about it, this. It's actually a very serious book masquerading as not a serious book. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Sorry to, sorry to Be, make because that. Because let, let's, let's look at some of the definitions I, I started out with. The very first one I wrote was diversity in senior management, a short white guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the truth of the matter is if you go back the last 20 years, uh, we've made precious little progress. Mm, and the yeah. funny thing is, I'm going to close down the executive ranks. I'm not going to allow women. Women can be managers, but they can't be senior managers, and they can't be on the executive board or anything else. So I'm going to close down the the funnel upward, and at the same time, I'm going to tell everyone we need to innovate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, isn't there a fundamental contradiction there? <laughs> Yeah, and this idea of diversity being the short, short white guy as opposed to, you know, all the, the six foot two tall executives that are there. Cause we know that, you know, being tall, you are a much better leader, of course. So, you know, well, we used to joke when I was in corporate life, we, we were waiting for the next consultant to come and did he match by within two inches the height of the executive who hired him? <laughs> and, and usually they did. <laughs> okay, but but on on the other hand, you have been outside of corporate. You've 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 had you've consulted with them, but you haven't actually had a corporate gig for years. Absolutely so, true. Okay, so where do you get off thinking that you're credible writing this book? <laughs> That's why I crowdsourced it so I could get younger people involved who would be you know up to date on all of that stuff. So uh, the book actually has fifty contributors. Yeah. And uh, they're across three, four continents. And that was important to me to, to uh, in, indeed bring diversity because yeah. I'm an overeducated white guy who's getting older. <laughs> and, and of those 50 contributors, they were all really good except for one, right? And uh, that, that <laughs> one was, was maybe somebody on this, this, this podcast. Is that true? No, that no. Tim, Tim, Tim is actually quite funny and it contributed numerous ones. <laughs> the truth of the matter is I ended up with 50 contributors outside of Howard Moskowitz and myself, but I had about 70 contributors. And so there were 20 people who I just have to be honest, weren't quite funny enough. They might've had a really good point to make, oh, but they weren't oh. necessarily funny enough to make it into the book. Cause I had 1800 definitions and the end I went with about the 600 best. Oh my gosh. That's wow. pretty amazing. That is yeah. pretty so we, amazing. We won't. We don't have to identify the fact that Kurt didn't even put any in. So, but <laughs> you know, hashtag just saying. He, he, he yeah. came in fourth in a three-person race. It was. It was. <laughs> Dan. Dan. I came in tenth in a four, in a, a three-person race. So don't don't even start. I mean that that that's for sure. So. Uh, okay. uh, or, or another thing that's really central to the book. Uh, Definition of boss, bully. Definition of bully, boss. Oh. And, and the reason, and the reason for that is because that was the impetus of the book. Uh, two mm. people I talked to in a row who are experts in the field of looking at management said that that's the conservative estimation is that about twenty to twenty-five percent of all managers are bullies. 
And I thought, again, this fundamental contradiction, you are spending billions of dollars in corporate America to improve corporate culture, and yet you have this festering cancer called 25% of my managers are oppressive badasses. Uh, yeah, that yeah. is, I mean, come on, clean up your act. Yeah, it's it's hard. You know, I, I it, it's surprising to me just to get a little bit reflective here that the the number of times that I in my career have run into bad bosses, and it's amazing to me that they do like they're so slick at managing up and convincing their senior yeah. leaders that they're doing a really good job, and then there's this well, you know, I guess you know the senior leadership's like well, you know they they might be an asshole, but they do a really good job. They get they get shit done. It's like no, they're still bullies. That's just yeah. bad. And, and who are you driving away? Because if you know that the pace of change is increasing and you need talent to get to innovation, to survive and thrive, I mean, anyone with options is going to get away from a bully. Uh, you're right. I, I haven't been in corporate life for a long time. We got a new boss. Uh, she had come from General Electric and uh, we had a sweetheart manager, a uh, secretary rather for the department. She calls me over one day and says, have you heard the latest joke about Linda? I said, no, I haven't because I generally don't like office gossip. And she said, why did Linda go on vacation? And the answer was to write a new introduction to Mein Kampf. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and, 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 and Mary was the nicest person. You know, she was just a sweetheart. And that's how she was responding. After I left the company, I believe there was a minimum of three lawsuits uh, ele you know, with allegations of mental cruelty against that person. Oh my god! And she she did lose her job, but you know it took a year and a half and a lot of suffering in the meantime. And I, for one, I wasn't the only one. We just said, "I'm out of here. Yeah. I, I don't have to put up with this. I won't put up with this, and I'm gone." Well, not only does it drive good employees away, but it also creates at least in some of the instances that I've seen of bad bosses where it creates just extra workload because all of a sudden they are coming in and they not necessarily are just being bullies, but they're like, I need to put my stamp on this. So you guys have gone through, done all this work. And now at the very last minute, I'm going to come in and I'm going to change things because it's, it's me and I get to do that. And then there's there people are working in fear. Right. And so then they're just like, all right, we'll, we'll spend all night redoing this and then change it back the next day because that's what happens. So Yeah, well, in my case, we had had the top annual report in the industry and third best cover the year before. So what was the first thing this new person did? She said, oh, we're not going to be working with that design firm this year. Oh, God. And, 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 she, and she chose one. And uh, not only did our cover not get top you know, three, it wouldn't have gotten top 10 billion in my estimation. <laughs> it, 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 looked like a, it looked like a really bad Hallmark card, one that would have rejected oh, and, and not put on the shelf you know, come, come Christmas time. Okay, now, now it's time for that part of the show where we always ask our author to read some of the entries from their snarky book. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the 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 always we ask this i've i guess i've been sleeping through some of these interviews tim but okay. you gotta you gotta lay off the mushrooms kurt come on <laughs> sure i'll just take a few joy a word that infiltrates the office by appearing on a few christmas cards <laughs> emojis the feelings you would be having at work if they were allowed <laughs> working late in the office but only on the days that end in Y. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, sexual innuendos and harassment, which is a really serious issue. When you look at the statistics, nevertheless, the catalyst for mandatory training, whereby some male employees learn that harass is actually two separate words. 
isn't isn't actually two separate words. Isn't isn't actually two separate words. Yes, man. Oh, oh man, you you've said that that uh, the the book is is sort of along the lines of the Devil's Dictionary, right? Yes. Can you uh, for listeners who might not be familiar with the Devil's Dictionary, can you can you tell us a little bit about? So, that? a contemporary of Mark Twain was a guy named Ambrose Beers who eventually disappeared on a journalistic assignment in Mexico. But Ouch. before he uh, went away from us all, he wrote what's widely considered one of the hundred greatest works of American literature, uh, the Devil's Dictionary, which. You know, because of its name, Devil, uh, you know, got himself in a wee bit of trouble with some people. But it's really funny. My favorite is probably Bohr, someone who talks when you want them to listen. Oh. Uh, but but there is, there's also Dentist, someone who puts metal in your mouth while taking gold from your pocket. Oh, uh, wow. Yankee, no such thing. See, damn Yankee. Uh, and, and so on <laughs> and so forth. Uh, but it's a delightful book. And I was trying to think, because, you know, you're trying to make reforms. That's really what this book is about in the end. Uh, I mean, some of them are just uh, hopefully just funny in their own right, pretty much. And and shooting carpet and barrel, some, some lame term that's out there. But a lot of the book is really about an agenda saying, can't we do better than this? Uh, and particularly at a point when we're looking at what some people are dubbing the great resignation, where I might want to change my job, my company, my career field. I'm using COVID-19 to do a re-envisioning of my life. So why shouldn't we be thinking about not just hybrid, but also what are the feelings we actually have at work? Who's responsible for them? How how can we get to a a better place? I mean, I'll give you an example. One of the ways in which I filtered the book, I went back and analyzed the, the sayings in the book. You say start way back in this benign year, back when we're still a farming agrarian community. Mm-hmm. And you could have something fun like making hay, you know, while the sun shines. Well, now you get up into the contemporary, you have f- phrases like make a killing. I mean, oh, we, we yeah. are in a completely different place or, or bureaucracy, you know, building consensus. Would farmers ever stand around and say, I'm building consensus, you know, as how yeah. I'm going to handle the harvest. We wouldn't talk like that. We would talk like human beings. Uh, <laughs> well, and so I think, it, yeah, I think the ahead. power of, of, of humor is that there is almost uh, always a kernel of truth in, in this. And, and it is that piece that can be uh, holding up that mirror and you go, oh, yeah, this is I, – I, I laugh because there's some truth behind this and that is actually a little bit – painful for me to to admit and so I, is that part of why you're using humor uh, from this perspective oh oh absolutely i mean you know if i had the talent i would be you know an editorial cartoonist and i know they're <laughs> they're, lo- they're losing their jobs as the as the magazines and newspapers dwindle in size and and number i think really captures the essence of a situation and it does open you up it's got that aha twist and turn to a phrase a concept and it's in that surprise. I mean, literally, when we're surprised, our eyes go wider, our mouth drops open. It means we shut up and we notice the world around us. So I am trying for that element of surprise and then the humor, the kick, uh, which, you know, I'm trying to get everyone addicted to the book naturally. Um, and so, um, you know, I want joke after joke. That's why I had to take out the ones that, you know, I thought would break the momentum. That's good. So what was the catalyst? What, what was the spark that said, this is the next project I need to, because how many books have you written? A dozen? Too many. Yeah, uh, yeah too damn many. Is, is the short answer. Uh, it depends if you throw in two terrible novels in high school and college and dissertation and all that, I'd be up to a, a dozen minimum. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm raising a, a very sizable Mormon family of, of books here. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
<laughs> but why? Well, why? Why do this I, again? I, I, Kurt kind of teed this up earlier, but I mean, you've visited really serious topics in the past around. Uh, you know, I think about it, like emotionomics and body of truth. You know, are are pretty you know focused. Uh, you know, for lack of a better term, serious books. Um, and um, then you get to kind of famous faces decoded, uh, a little lighter, but still sort of relying on your expertise. Uh, what was the catalyst to do this? Well, I, I think when you've got the short phrase, you know, the little joke, and, and you know, it's kind of like Monty Python episodes. My, my rule of thumb was the longer the, the sketch went with Monty Python, the less likely it had a good payoff. Uh-huh. The, the really oh. good ones were short and quick. And I said, you know, you're in a world where there are 80,000 business books on sale on Amazon at the moment. So to break through is really tough and people have a short attention span. So I actually think that the, the quips and the asides and the crowdsourcing lets me bring a lot of vantage points and a lot of issues to bear in a condensed format and have those little lightning strikes Mm. Uh, that can work for people. Cause I think it's, we, we just, you know, I make time every day to listen to the late night comics. I mean, I just want the humor and some of the stuff is really brilliant. Uh, I read a good deal of the editorial pieces in the newspapers because they got a point of view and they'll argue for it. Um, so I'll scan the headlines, but I really want perspective. So I want a voice and I want some humor that has wit and intelligence behind it and a point of view. And so that's what the book's after. I mean, I allow people to have their own agendas because some people were more conservative, some were people were more liberal, uh, people had different hobby horses, things they wanted to tackle. And, you know, I tried to make allowances for that. I mean, why not? So who would find joy in reading this book? And not just the, the Christmas card at the end of the year, but who would actually <laughs> find real joy in, in reading this book, do you think? Um, I had several audiences in mind. One, one was definitely women, because I, I think the workplace is still very sexist. One of the definitions is manual, which is when you go to conferences and everyone on the on the panel is a guy. Yeah. And, and the, the definition is something like, because we need to hear more from white men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. uh, and I'm not trying to exclude them. It's simply a matter of th- those shouldn't be the only people who are talking because they're certainly not the only people in the audience. I was on a conference call just the other day where someone actually said women and other minorities. Oh, and I said, wow. and other minorities? I said, don't you mean another majorities? I said, for instance, white people are about 11% of the planet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and women, of course, way. are obviously about 51% or thereabouts. Yeah. Um, the person didn't apologize or said, yes, I misspoke or anything. I thought, whoa, isn't that revealing? So, yeah, there are some things here that definitely are pointing out inequities. And it could start with gender. It can certainly do with race. But it also has to do with income. Uh, because trust is, we always say trust is the emotion of business. Well, trust and, and inequality have inverse correlations. The more inequality we have, the less we trust that the structure we're in is is fair, that we'll get an honest shake and things will turn out. We all know that executive pay has skyrocketed uh, over the last 40 years. And, And that's a really fundamental issue. So I think people can't help but notice that. My my paycheck is this, and we're talking about a golden parachute in their case. <laughs> um, so I, I think people who you know are looking for a, I'm hoping that they'll take some cheer from this and say, here are people who are 
putting their shoulders to the wheel. They're daring to say the things that we whisper about, but you don't find it between the covers of a business book very often. No. And uh, there's some solidarity, just like people at Google said, yeah, we're going to stage a walkout because yeah. our collective voices say this isn't an acceptable situation. So I don't deny that I'm trying to rally people uh, to say, you know, let, let's talk about these things. Let's recognize them. So I think anyone who's interested in diversity, inclusion, equity, most definitely. Uh, I think someone who's maybe two years into the job should really enjoy this book um, because you're, you're now far enough in that you really have, and you haven't gotten so jaded or so acclimated that you don't notice the jargon, but you're far enough into it that you recognize it. You can't stand it. You used it for a bit yourself. And now you're starting to pass out of that. And I say that because back when I got my PhD, you always knew the people who were in the first semester of their second year, they mm. picked up the academic jargon and they were using it copiously. And by the next semester, they were sick of it. So I want to get them. <laughs> so I want to get them right at the point where they're browning out on this stuff, but it's really on their radar screen. And so I, I would say that's the second one, and the third one it would just be the person who's hanging on for a few more years and says, <laughs> you know, I, I gotta have some way to get through my day because this is killing me, man. And uh, so I, I would say that's another another yeah, audience. Well, well, that's like me working with Tim. So I might buy it for that last one. There, you know. <laughs> It wasn't that funny, Dan. It was no. not that funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But it's funny that he would say it to you. <laughs> to <your face. laughs> so, Dan, we talked with Vanessa Bonds the other day, and she wrote a book. It's a fantastic book. You have more influence than you think. And it was just interesting when you start talking about the different equity pieces and the, and the power dynamics. And I, I think what her book says is that we have as uh, a, a lot more influence than we tend to think in various different areas. But the other piece, one piece that she brought up was just that once you get power, you actually make some wrong assumptions about the types of influence that you have and the types of influence that other people have, which I think is a lot of what you've, some of the the definitions that you've just come up with and some of those things that you were, you were talking about. And it's really interesting to see that you are looking at this book as like a catalyst to to drive change and to make people to be thinking about this. And I think, um, so just for our listeners, make sure you listen to Vanessa's episode uh, right after this or right before this, because I think tied together, they'll be fantastic. So. Well, and in fact, my first chapter is, you know, hoisted by your own petard, basically. It's your own foibles, because I'm going into all the ways in which you get bamboozled. So it's managers' blind spots, it's the colleagues stirring the pot, it's executive <laughs> blunders and other buffoons. But the very first chapter is your own foibles, because we are human beings. It's the premise of your podcast in many ways. We yeah. we are flawed individuals. We do the best we can, or at least in many cases we do. But we have blind spots. We, we make errors. Uh, emotions can help us. They can hurt us. <laughs> uh, we're certainly not as rational as we think we are. And uh, we're all trying to make our way forward. What was the biggest uh, aha moment that you had in in putting all this together and assembling and writing and all the things? What was the what was the greatest insight that you came to? Oh my God, that's a tough question because it was such a painful process. I thought oh. <laughs> I thought I thought crowdsourcing was going to make the job easier, and and suddenly it's like, well, you know, is it my sense of humor? Is it you know, am I maybe tired and I should pick it up in the morning because everything's not seeming funny? Suddenly. 
Um, I, I was floored by how much work having fun was. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it, it really, you know, it's a whole year of my life, um, you know, to get this done. And I thought it'd be a breeze. So from a procedural <laughs> point of view, uh, that's it. I can tell you my personal favorite of all of them, which is a really lighthearted one. And it's the, the hotel mini bar, which they note as the high water mark of capitalism because you have the tiny morsels of chocolate and alcohol so small that they had to hire elves to gift wrap them. <laughs> and, and and consuming it bankrupts your expense account. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I just I think of that almost every day because it's it's so true. You you go on the business trip and you're exhausted and you go through the you know the, the stressful and or boring meetings and you get to the room and you look at all those little things in the refrigerator and go I better not. <laughs> I might I might eat a lot of these. I might consume a lot of this rather quickly. Um, you know, and it's going to be really expensive and it's going to be really expensive, really, really expensive, but it's an expense report. So it's not my money. Oh. So I'm going to go do it. Right. There you uh, go. True. Of course, in my case, as, as Tim was alluding, eventually it was my own company. So it was going to come out of my pocket. Um, <laughs> generally I didn't indulge. I tried to wait for dinner or just take a nap and recoup <laughs> that way instead. But, uh, I don't know. That one really just always tickles my funny bone. Dan Hill, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for being a guest on Behavior Groups again. Oh, absolutely. You're two of my favorites. Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I talk about our conversation with Dan Hill, have a few laughs at our own expense, and yeah. talk about whatever comes into our humor less brains <laughs> so see because so we, have, we think we're we comedians but we're not we are not humor, humor yeah. less people there we, we go at least we our are. brains our bodies yeah. might laugh but our brains are going that was pretty dumb <laughs> yeah yeah isn't that the truth well uh, I'm glad that we're grooving on this because, first of all, I think it's a really fun book, not just because I contributed to it. Uh-huh. You get some royalties out of that? You get some, you get some payback? Fat. Fat, baby. Fat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I got bank. Let's just put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Did he give you a Coke Zero? No. 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 <laughs> we had dinner at his house. <laughs> Ooh. Dinner at his house. There you go. See? You get the big bucks. Man, yeah, <laughs> I wish I could get dinner at Dan's house. I'm so glad that we're grooving on this, though, because it, I think it's really important to remind listeners that humor is just really, really important these days, right? It's just something that we have lacked for the last year and a half during the pandemic in the amount that I think we're normally used to getting. I, I'm pretty sure that my humor quotient is low these these days. And I so think you're saying that our conversations don't fill your humor quotient up. Is that right? We're just not enough laughs per minute for you in, in what we're doing here. Well, let's just say that you could do better. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that was a softball. I just left it out there for yes, you. And you, did. you, you, you really did that. Boom! All the way across the, all the way across the end zone. <laughs> did it? Did it end up in right field with with the right fielder catching it though? <laughs> <laughs> did you notice I actually uh, even messed up? Like I said, end zone instead of. <laughs> no, I didn't notice that. That's <laughs> good. Go. Mixing, mixing your metaphors. football, mix, football, baseball, softball, all those things. There you go. Anyway, yes, it, I, I, 
all right, in all seriousness, I think you're absolutely true. I think there has been this underlying stress that we've all been under. There's been all of the factors that go in with the pandemic, all of the elements that uh, we're facing as a nation, as a world, as human beings within this. And the fact that we should be able to laugh more and we should be laughing more is something that, hey, if we can do it, it's fantastic because it has some real health benefits, doesn't it? I mean, what does it do for our health? It's got the big old endorphin rush, right? It's got endorphins. We, our body likes those. Yep. Yeah. Got milk, got endorphins. There you got go. Got endorphins. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, our bodies thrive uh, on endorphins, and that that's a really positive thing. And I, I, I couldn't find any any science on this to to sort of detect whether or not we're getting as much humor during the pandemic versus not. I expect that at some point somebody's going to study it, but I don't know how. But the point is that I think my gut feel is that we need more of it. And so I think what Dan's doing is important work. Well, well, this is an interesting piece because a lot of our conversations have been not in person, particularly work ones. They have been over yeah. Zoom. And is humor as transferable over a Zoom setting as opposed to an in-person? Even if it's a one-on-one Zoom setting, I don't know. It doesn't have that same personal touch. It doesn't have that. And particularly with a larger Zoom meeting where you got 30, 50, 100 people on a Zoom call or even 10, it it doesn't feel the same. You don't have those one-off conversations with others where oftentimes those little humorous pieces happen, those little bump-ins where you talk about something and you both chuckle because you had something in common. You know, it's not even the big jokes. It's not the the massive comedy routines. It's those little elements of laughter and joy that come with those kind of one-off conversations. There was research, and I can't remember who did this, um, but they were they were studying, like, when do people laugh? And people always assume, well, it's when people tell jokes. No, it's actually at the end of kind of little quirks of conversation that we have with each other. And right. it's like at the end, you go, right. <laughs> that's, yeah, I get that, yeah. Yeah. And we don't do that on Zoom as that's much. The, in that my, is the in my thought. Yeah, that's the big deal. That that's exactly it. It's not it's not a big laughter thing at the end of a long story or a clever line. It is with the quips, and we're not getting enough of that. I think that that's that's particularly good. Um, any other thoughts about about this? Yeah, I think the other piece, and particularly as we think about this for work, right, is humor has a role in easing tensions about serious topics. Hmm. So you have a tension building in the room and somebody cracks a joke or you laugh about something, it kind of, again, it releases those endorphins and various different pieces of of neurochemistry, but it just diffuses the situation. And in these times where there are so many tensions out there in the world, whether that be work-related, whether it be, uh, you know, national politics related, whether that be pandemic related, there needs to be that tension release and we need more humor. And so I I think everybody should go out and get a copy of blah, blah, blah and laugh their butts off so (laughs) we can feel better about themselves. We wrote leading... We wrote Leading Human because of the challenges that managers face in managing through chaotic times. And uh, we I don't think we really 
could easily address humor without actually writing a whole book about it. And we're not expert in that area. But I think you're right. Maybe a remedy is just go out and get Dan's book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or watch a good old, you know, Robin Williams comedy yes. routine. Those yes. were fantastic. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that true? Yeah. 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 All right. So actually, Dan's book is about snarky common workplace terms and we would love to hear yours so if you have any of your own terms that you want to share go out to our twitter at behavioral groove without the e it is uh our twitter thing and leave us a note and say hey here listen this is a great little snarky you know thing that absolutely has no meaning outside of corporate speak yeah. And, or it has a double entendre or what, entendre? Did I say that right? Double entendre? Uh, close enough. Yeah. I think, we, <laughs> I think we get it. Yeah. So, so an example might be like your goal, right? The, the, the definition of your goal is that which you know is instantly unachievable because it was assigned by someone else. <laughs> you know, something like that. Right. So if you've got clever, you know, uh, snarky definitions for common workplace terms. Yeah, exactly. Share it with us on Twitter. I think that'd be very, very cool. All right. Fantastic. Well, I think that wraps up our grooving session on Dan Hill's blah, blah, blah. Right, Tim? Uh, I think it does. Blah, 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 Kurt. (laughs) Do we have to say blah, blah, blah before we say our names now? Blah, 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 Tim. I'm not sure. (laughs) Okay. We are humans, just as Dan describes them, and we are psychological. And sometimes humor can go a long way. And I think that now would be a good time to put it to use. All right. So with that, we encourage you to take some humor with you this week as you go out and find your groove. Nailed it. 